0: scuba obsessed the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear places to dive and scuba news scuba obsessed episode 301 is recorded live october 6th 2016 Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we picked up a lot of trash. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac?
1: I am here. I have now detoxed and my helium thing is over and uh, I'm tired, but I'm here.
0: And we also have Kevin <laughs> Ailes joining us this week. How are you doing, Kevin?
2: I'm doing excellent, Darren. Uh, and how about yourself?
0: I am doing great. Any week I can get in the water, I consider that to be a good week.
2: Yes, it's been a good week for that, all of us. Uh, all of us were there at the Ecology Dive, I believe. So, yeah, we all got wet. We all got trash out. Uh, we did a, that,
1: was a, that was a good day.
0: Yeah. I'd like to thank is everybody who... Go ahead. Divers are trashed? <laughs> trashed. <laughs> I, I is that after the dive? That, I, well, I have to say we were pretty respectable at the good enough act after the dive. But what I wanted to say was I wanted to thank everybody who tried to get in the chat room tonight. We had TalkShoe giving us problems, so watch Facebook, watch Twitter, watch uh, Patreon. I'll be putting notices out. Of, we're going to try a different service next week. Uh, we're we're just done. Uh, this one, I'll, I, I don't think it's TalkShoe's problem. It's Skype, but the reason why we're having an issue is because I am trying to connect to TalkShoe. Uh, it just seems to be that. You know, going from digital to analog to landlines to everything that has to go in the connections. It's just, it's crazy to be doing that. So I'll be playing around with some streaming services and, and grouping, and uh, we'll just have to decide to do it. Uh, but thanks to everybody who showed up. We had uh, uh, Vacayville Mark showed up from California. With Vanessa the Mermaid, also from California. Uh, Rec Hunter from Chicago was in. Scuba Tech from Chicago Wreck Hunter. I gave, I, I, I said that Wreck Hunter is Chicago. He's Michigan. So, uh, thanks to everybody who showed up. Uh, we'll work through this and get something else going. But we did certainly get some diving in this weekend. It was a good, uh, weekend for diving. And then I saw that Mac and Kevin, you both got some diving in during the week and we had a Thursday, Thursday dive. So there's plenty to talk about.
2: Yeah. Quite, quite a bit of diving. I mean, uh, I don't know. I had a hard time keeping my tanks full this week. So. And I know, I know Matt got in twice day as I did, so we've been
0: busy. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article up is that Aqualung is in negotiations to be sold. Actually, it's Air Liquid is in uh, a closed negotiations with uh, Montague. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing by the name of them, they're both French companies. Uh, Air Liquid SA is a French industrial gas supplier. And it said Tuesday yeah, it's, I be, up, it's begun exclusive talks to sell its diving equipment making unit Aqualung to Montague Private Equity. What was that, Kevin?
2: Yeah, I looked up uh, Montague and they were basically an, an investment firm. So yeah, and they've so, got
0: and, yeah. quite a few companies uh, under you know under their umbrella. You know, that they've invested in. So I'm not sure what that means yet. You know, is 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 this going to be a good thing for divers or is it a bad thing? And usually when I see an investment company buy something like Aqualung. Uh, they want to make money off it yep so, so they're yeah.
2: probably just holding on to it temporarily and they had plans for it to go someplace else and well, uh, th-
0: that's what that's what i'm hoping for is that this is really a cover action you know they've got somebody lined up or they think they've got somebody lined up who will buy it and so they're just holding on to it temporarily so maybe uh, this other company needed some cash or they need liquidity liquidity so they were, they're going to unload Aqualung. But Aqualung is the company that uh, Jacques Cousteau founded. Has uh, has 1,000 employees in about 90 countries. And they, they, according to this article in MarketWatch, they said that their 2015 revenues were about 200 million euros or 224 million U.S. dollars. So hopefully it's not going to be a, a disaster. You know, we won't lose a, a major player. The other bad thing would be is if it goes right to somebody who is already producing dive equipment as it is, so it becomes a consolidation.
2: Yeah, I, I just wonder you know, who they have lined up, lined up to buy it. I mean, is it going to be... Because okay, Aqualung has been a decent quality product. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is it, it going to stay that way? I mean, yeah. uh, plus, you know, there's a, a lot of brand loyalty just with, with the history of, of the company too, so
0: yeah. it's
3: going
2: to you know, very concerned about where this is going to go.
0: I mean, I've got Aqualung gear. You know, I, I think my BC was uh, a U.S. diver, which was Aqualung, and uh, my regulators are Aqualung. So you never want to lose a good provider of equipment.
2: Well, I think like Long has kind of had their hand in a number of other companies as well. I mean, oh I yes, they Involved yeah. with uh, uh, what is it, Apex? Uh, yeah, a- Apex. I believe
0: them. if it's isn't currently, I think it was part of Aqualung.
2: Yeah, but the, these brands, they all they all kind of come and they merge. I mean, I know that I know that Apex and Zeagle are kind of <laughs> been different, been the same company different times, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it's kind of hard to keep up with how much these things move around. But, yeah, I mean <clears throat> aqualung has been been around for quite a while. It, it'd really be a shame to see it go away no, it...
0: And then we have a California I say California man it's Cal, from California Diver magazine or Californiadiver.com. Uh, a 67 year old Danish man sets a record for the fastest underwater crossing. He set the record for uh, diving across the cold water strait separating Denmark and Germany. A 67 year old Wolfgang Wolfgang Kalau Kalau. K U L O W just set the record for diving across the Frimorn Belt from Denmark to Germany with a seabob. The underwater record was attempted successfully on Tuesday, September 27th at a diving depth of no greater than 10 meters. He traversed 12 and a half miles from the Danish island of was it Lawland to German island Frefernman, Fernmarn. I, I bet if somebody actually pronounced say, this to me, uh say, <laughs> we'd be surprised uh, how Baymar. F. E. H. M. A. R. N. Marn, Fay Marne? Femarn. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. It, by doing so in only four hours and nine minutes, so he he went twelve and a half miles in four and a half, well, under four and a half hours. So he set the record for the fastest underwater crossing of the Fermarn Belt. So that means that there had to have been another underwater crossing.
2: Well, did he? I don't think they're saying that he broke a record. He just set the record.
0: Set the world record for the fastest. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be. If you're the the first and only one, then yeah, you did set the record. He was equipped with a scuba tank and a Seabob FS uh, F5S. An escort team took care of and exchanging equipment during the dive, so the athlete didn't need to leave the water throughout the attempt. The safety boat, professional diver, was available to assist if needed. Uh, his scuba tank and Seabob need to be replaced periodically as well. Because that, that would be pretty amazing for the Seabob if it was actually able to do 12 and a half miles. Setting such a demanding world record begins with an idea to accomplish it. You need to, you need a highly motivated team. I'd like to thank everyone who supported me in this challenge. The Record Institute of Germany confirmed the world record on location and he was thrilled. They sent ex- you a link yep. on the F5. Okay.
1: Um, the diagram it has, the blow-up, is really, really interesting. It's not like any of the uh, DPVs that we've seen or used ourselves. Uh, its yeah, speed underwater is approximately 11 kilometers an hour. It's a little over 6 miles an hour. I mean, it looks- average operating time is 50 minutes at that, and it can dive to a depth of 40 meters. Its weight out of the water is 29 kilograms, so you figure that's approximately 67 pounds. Yeah. So, uh Quite a machine. I don't know the price on it, though.
0: Yeah. That's, I like so the that. Range is, the range but if is anybody about
1: has half. one, we would love to do a sea C-trial for you yeah. and give you U.S. Uh, opinions.
2: Oh, it looks like the range is about half of what he, uh, he covered, so it makes sense they had to swap them out. Um, yeah, I mean, anyone's familiar with uh, DPV's diaper propulsion vehicles, um, this is kind of a hot-rodded one. I mean, this is a real cool toy here. Um, I'm not seeing any prices listed on the website, though.
0: seems like so. we looked at huh? this Mac when it came out. Wasn't it like 12000 or something? This is one of those rich guy toys we'd seen. How much is Seabob? Oh,
1: There's a
2: price list. It was a price list, yeah. Round
0: one? Well, it depends on the, the model. You can get a Seabob Kago, 7-horsepower, is just under 13,000 euros. The VX2 yep. is about 11,000 euros, and the Bob Jet 4 is about 9,000 euros.
1: Looking on eBay, <laughs> uh, an F7 uh, there is $4,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob VX2 is 5,000. Is that
2: amount. is that like a starting bid or a buy it now, or what? what is that you're seeing on eBay?
1: Uh, I just had our best offer on this one, zero bids. I'm not really familiar with the how this works, but I just thought I'd take a look at it.
0: How about this? And C- the sleds here look different. Yeah. How about this Seabob Magnum? Seabob Mag- Magnum, professional underwater scooter, limited edition, 78,000 euros. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, that's the Richard Branson model.
1: Yeah. Put me down for two. Now, this was a Seabob 5. That's a 2014, so it's not a brand new one. Huh.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at one. There's. Uh, they actually have a price list on the website. If you go to seabob.com, uh, just do a Google search for seabob uh, price. But to the ago they're saying is that the net price for the seabob F5 is seven thousand eight hundred forty-five euros, and then the the German VAT tax is nineteen percent. Wow! So you have to add one thousand five hundred euros onto that. So in Germany, you could expect <coughs> to pay. 9,335 euros, the Seabob 5. The 5S is, starts off at 10,780 euros. The 19% VAT tax is uh, 2,050 or some odd euros. So it ends up being 12,828 euros for delivery in Germany. And then there's all I sorts of options. This,
1: I'm going to say it weighs so much, you're going to need a transport vehicle to get that from your car or trailer to the water side.
0: Yeah, you'd want some sort of uh, dolly or cart or something, some wheels.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, uh, yeah, they have options for special colors, quick charger, a bag, a rack, a weight, a cart. Oh, they do sell a cart. The cart is, uh, 468 euros. Plus then you got to add your VAT tax onto it. Oh, and then they do it in US dollars. I guess I didn't scroll down far enough. So in the United States, the F5 is $8,980. Not including a 3% Credit card service charge. The F 5s is twelve thousand three hundred eighty dollars. The cart is five hundred thirty five dollars. Very nice, though. Yeah. And they, yeah, I'm not,
2: I, I'm not seeing batteries with these accessories. It'd be nice to, wish one of the battery is uh, a user replaceable item?
0: <clears throat> no, you you just get a new Seabob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why, why would you replace at, the battery? At,
2: at at twelve three, yeah, we'll just have an extra couple <laughs> of them around, yeah.
0: Well, the battery is uh, 11500 They just throw the C Bob in for the co- cost of paint.
2: Kind of like buying blades for your razors, yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, did yeah. you look at the blow up diagram of the interior?
0: There's an interior?
1: Well, I mean, the di- this got a drive shaft on it that you were not going to believe.
0: Well, I'm looking at the harness, and that looks like uh, an athletic supporter with a strap on it, the pilot belt system.
1: Well, I'm looking at the blow up or the. Uh, Internal shot of the item as if it were made of glass. In that uh, page I sent you, if you go scroll through it, you'll come up on it.
0: I'm not seeing that link you sent. Did you send it to I me? just
1: clicked on it. Not, it's, you don't see it on uh, Skype. No. Oh, I'll send it again. I, I can still see it on mine. I said I sent it again. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not here. I'm no, looking no. at the thrust the aspect, the motor, uh-huh. and it's got multi-blades. It, it's quite unique construction.
2: Yeah, I want to see a parts list, though, because, you know, if we get one of these things, we'd be hot rotting it, running it through the mud, running it through the zebra mussels, um, bouncing around the back of the boat. Um.
0: You know what I'm using it for. Hey, there's a little Did too much sand running. in the bottom here. <laughs> what happens when I place this output down here where I want stuff to move away from me?
1: I don't know. I don't think you're going to be able to use that one for a blower very easily. Well, it's,
2: it's a cool toy, but... That's about twice what I paid for my boat. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> I'd rather have your boat. Would
2: you? Yeah, I think I would too. Oh, yeah.
0: But this is, you know, the, the market for the, the people who are buying this are not at all concerned about the I mean, they're, they're spending the amount of this on a one-week vacation to wherever they're going to take this to use it. I'm looking through their gallery, and uh, they, of course they got, they got some guy who he's lifting it like it's a, a piece of carry-on baggage on a plane. But he's also stepping onto a boat that I'm going to guess is probably uh, several million dollars. But very cool. I mean, congratulations uh, on his achievement.
1: And they could use that in your next item.
0: For the cave dive? Yeah. Wow, how's this for a cave? Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic, the world's deepest underwater cave, they're saying, has been discovered. Explorers reported discovering a cave in eastern Czech Republic found near the town of uh, Harnitz. the Harnitz Abyss, or the Harna, Harna. there's too many consonants there. Uh, so they're, they're saying that the cave goes down at least 404 meters or 1,325 feet deep. So that's a tad bit deep for a cave. Uh, <laughs> anybody want to take a guess at this name? It does have one vowel in it out of like 12 consonants. Krzysztof Starnowaski, a Polish explorer, led the team. Made the discovery made him feel like Columbus of the 21st century. Flooded limestone cave that's at least 404 meters deep he scuba dove to 2,600, 2, 265 meters down the cave before sending down a remote-operated robot, which went to a depth of 404 meters. Surprisingly, the ROV did not reach the bottom of the cave. Even an ROV 404 meters down, it was deep as the rope could go, and the bottom was still nowhere in sight. Discovery is said to beat the record holder of the world's deepest cave, which is the sinkhole in Italy, Italy called the Pozo di Merro, by uh, 39 feet or 12 meters, uh, the Italian cave is 392 meters or 1,286 feet. Discovery, of course, comes with a challenge. Due to the muddy areas and water temperature of 15 degrees Celsius, equipment has been damaged. Divers also f- face injuries, especially to areas that are exposed to skin. Even with the challenges posed, the team plans to go back in the cave to dive to 200 meters before sending down an ROV. They said this is only the price to be paid for the Discovery. It's worth paying. They plan to bring the robot through narrow passages of the cave, which is an unexplored area, We he believes the fissure goes even deeper. The ROV device is made specifically for the expeditions and is operated by GRAL Marine, a Polish firm. National Geographic was first reported on the exclusive discovery.
1: I'm curious if he really scuba dove that, deep, that 800 feet. Think he scuba dived it or do you think he did uh rebreather?
0: I wanna say he did rebreather. It seems like I, I read another article that talked about he was doing a rebreather. But what's interesting is it almost sounds like he's diving down and then when he's at depth he's using the ROV. Which would be unique. I, I haven't heard people doing that. But that would address uh tether length issues. You just have to have a waterproof controller that you're using to drive it. Plus you're you're yeah. you're building up a deco obligation as oh, you're so sitting. Your deco, Pardon me?
1: Your is gonna kick your butt.
0: Yeah. Because even if you dropped it down, like you had it dangling down below you as you went down, I mean, that just seems seems crazy, doesn't it? He's got a video. I haven't had a chance to watch it.
2: Well, he better hope it doesn't get fouled on something because he's not going to get it back.
0: <laughs> not easily.
2: No. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and you're doing some extreme pressure testing there, too. 1,286 was the old record. He was
1: something about the water temperature of 15 degrees Celsius.
0: That didn't seem to be that cold to me.
1: It's not. It's 59 degrees. <laughs> maybe that's it's warmer the, than what we're diving or just about the same.
0: Maybe yeah, it's just but, the author's interpretation of it being cold. Yeah, but,
2: but, but when he's building up, you know, that kind of deco, um, that's going to be a long time. I mean, it, it, that's going to seem plenty cold if he's doing hours of deco, too, though.
0: It's Certainly. I mean, it's not going to be a comfortable deco, but it's not like an ice dive. But you also got, if he's
1: on breather, he's going to have warm air, too, which makes a hell of a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: he's on open circuit, he's using a lot of gas.
0: Oh yeah, that just that fact alone would almost dictate a rebreather. Very interesting. Well, the, what kind of support he had?
2: Well, you know, the the picture here is showing definitely yeah. a scuba diver. The thing is, it's also showing a single tank scuba diver, which I'm sure this is nothing to do with the with the actual dive to go down there. It's just a, a nice silhouetted picture. Is all that is?
0: Yeah, because they're showing the surface. You know, he he lost that light pretty early in the dive. Oh, the photo is public domain, if you look down for the photo credit. Okay. Yep, all right. So that's just the uh, newspaper being cheap. <laughs> they didn't want to pay anybody for for license. Interesting. Hopefully we'll see some more.
2: They're saying at least 404 meters deep. It makes you wonder, I mean, how much was beyond the tether of that ROV. I mean, they're only guessing at this point. They really have no idea how much beyond that.
0: No. It, but like they've said, there's other spots where they think it may be. Uh, deeper as well it's it, I don't, I don't it, think, it can be as deep as they want i know i'm not getting to the bottom
2: well not not coming back up anyway
0: i guess that's true i don't i don't would you want to be have your remains dropped off that deep I mean, no, is that, no, is that your last your last wish after you've passed on to be cremated and put in a really deep hole
2: <laughs> that's that's not my first choice anyway uh
0: i don't know why i,
2: but, I don't but, oh, but, but there's, there's a hole down in uh south america where they do this you know, where they do this uh deep, cave diving i know there's some people that never came back and they're still down there
0: yeah we, so. we talked about that article mac when when that was a few months ago that was a very good story i'm um, very good i mean a, the, the tragedy for the, the the guy who died it was a airline pilot if i remember oh no i remember mac this was the one where it was the airline pilot who was going to do a body recovery uh he recovered the body but he died in the process did we lose you mac did i lose you Kevin? i'm still you're still i'm here?
2: still here yeah
0: yeah mac if you're still there we have
2: yeah, a yeah, but when you look at these deep dives, I mean, there's just so many variables to them, and um, it doesn't take much to, to deviate from the plan, and you, you go off the plan by by a very small amount, oh, yeah. and, or, and you're all done. So.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't have to. Uh, there's very little room for error, and you look I, at the I, people I when they when they die. Problem. These are not rookies dying; these are experts, and they have just gone beyond. When we covered the story about the guy in South Africa when he when he passed on, uh, people because they they were, they were able to recover the camera uh, and they could hear his breathing on the camera because I, I think gosh and I, I hate saying it without going back and rereading it, but it seemed like he had clipped off the the body onto the line and they were able to pull him pull him up. But they, they did recover the video and they said you could hear in the video that he had just overworked. So what happened is, uh, you're really doing experimentation when you're diving that deep. Any changes in conditions might be the first time that you've experienced it or that anybody in the world has experienced it. And, mm-hmm. uh, unknown biological factors can happen. Uh, and that's what it appeared to be in that case is that it was just a little bit of overexertion and too much time and, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah and it, it doesn't take much. I know, uh, the- Chattered his blog. He was talking about the, about the unnerved hit. It talks about a, a a lady diver that swears everything right, and she still ended up getting getting bent out of it. But reviewing her dive plan, you realized that she had gone down twelve feet deeper than she planned to hook in the grapple, and then twelve feet deeper again to remove the grapple. And just that deviating down twelve feet from the plan twice uh, nearly killed her. So. Yeah. It, I, I don't recall what the depth was, but uh, you know when you when you're doing these you know deep trimix dives involving a lot of decompression, it takes very very little to make your dye plan uh, no longer feasible, and you may not realize it. You know you may be you know you're going to be even with trimix, you still have effects of of uh, some narcosis there. So yeah, I don't know. It's um, nothing I'm ready for. How about you, Darren? You want to try it?
0: No, no, I'm I'll let these guys do it. Yeah, someday, you know, I'll, I plan on getting some technical if I'm healthy enough and, you know, maybe doing, I don't see myself ever going deeper than 300 feet. You know, 100 meters is, it would have to be something really, really worth seeing.
2: Oh, I know you'd go 535 feet. <laughs> yeah, 530.
0: Chance. I'm sure it's just like, it's like, it's like dinner, just a little bit more. <laughs> it's, just kind of, it's vapor thin.
2: Yeah, but there's there's something, like, really, really cool at 535. Yeah, there's know? always room I mean, for you know.
0: jello.
3: Yeah,
0: so. And we have a shipwreck from 1939 uncovered off Orleans. Shifting sands off the coast of Orleans have revealed the wreck of the Lutzen, a British freighter that ran aground in 1939 carrying a load of frozen blueberry, killing one crew member as those aboard scrambled to save the cargo. The ill-fated effort to right the 135-foot ship, researchers have long held Records of the spot where the so-called Blueberry Boat sank just 400 feet north of Nauset Beach on Cape Cod. But the swirling tides covered the wreck in sand decades ago, preventing any detailed examination of the site. Now seasonal changes of sand and surface combined with beach erosion uncover the doomed vessel, according to Victor Mastone, the director of the State Board of Underwater Archaeological Resources. Sometimes I wait for storms and bad weather to uncover things. That's because it's usual when something new shows up, he says it's an interesting wreck even if you can't visit. If can pluck enough data, then we can create virtual visits. Interesting. And we seem to see this a lot in the Great Lakes where wrecks uh, may not always be available and then show up from time to time.
2: Yeah, particularly shallow ones like this. I mean, this one ran aground. So, um, you know, looking at the picture there, I'm sure it's in less than 10 feet of water right there, and it's, it's not going to, you know, over the years it would have, was it salvaged or scrapped? Or I'm, I'm surprised that something that shallow didn't at least get salvaged.
0: Um, so it went down February 3rd, 1939. So if you think about that time, you would think that it would be salvaged. That would have been you know, pre-war or early war effort time. So mm-hmm. you know, you're doing iron drives. Seems like that'd be a very attractive thing to go out and grab.
2: I mean, this is talking off on, on Cape Cod, so this is a very populated area. I mean, yeah. this is an area which. Uh, yeah, it's not like it's remote and hard to get machinery out there to, uh, you know, pluck it, although it, it might be shallow enough from there you might not want to get the machinery in, but, you know, they, they, these guys, have, they've got means to do it. So um, well, they I'm they surprised that it wasn't scrapped or salvaged. Really surprised. Yeah.
0: Well, and then it, it may be partially scrapped or salvaged. Yeah, they didn't say what they found.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, but, yeah, we, we, we've seen it just in, you know, diving the, the wrecks that we do out there, out of, you know, South Haven and, and uh, St. Joe, you know, just how much the sand comes and goes and uncovers and recovers. And, you know, we have wrecks right now which are buried. You know, the, the city of Green Bay is a popular shore dive over in South Haven. Um it, like, starts at four feet, goes out to, out to about ten feet, but now it's completely buried in the sand. That whole area is only two feet deep now. Um, the Burlington uh, wreck right next to the Holland Pier just north of it there, and uh, MSRA has pictures on their site of it. Um, you know, it's 200 feet off the pier,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I verified with, with some fishermen who used to fish it 30 years ago, uh, right where it was, and where it used to be in 38 feet of water. Well, you know, now it's 14 feet of water. All that sand came in and buried it. And, yeah, they're absolutely right. I mean, you kind of have to get out there and look at the pieces that Mother Nature wants to show you today, and hopefully you're able to put together somewhat of of a mosaic and, you know, use that to study the whole ship. But it's probably pretty broken up what's in there. And when something's that shallow, you're going to have a lot of ice damage, storm damage. Um, I'm sure they're just basically looking at a a lot of twisted metal down there. Um, It's going to be really hard to discern anything in in that kind of depth. So. Yeah. But, yeah, that, it's cool. I mean, 135-foot uh, you know, boat, been down there for about, what, 80, 87 years. Uh, I guess you've got pictures of it, too.
0: Yeah. Mac just uh, pasted into the in the Skype uh, article by National Geographic, and they got some beautiful photos. In there. You there, Mac? Hello, Mac.
2: I don't think he's here.
0: Huh. wonder what happened. We're not hearing his audio. Maybe you're muted, Mac. But National Geographic always has some great photos. Oh, they show a picture a picture of the rov well, it's, a, it's a not super huge definitely a rebreather on his back
2: oh rov with the guy in the previous article regarding the uh yes the uh, cave diving
0: yeah. yeah if you if you look at skype you should be able to you see that maybe you maybe you're not in this conversation let me copy the link to you
2: well I don't with my app all I, I don't have a, that kind of a screen of my app I just have a keep a skype keypad on my oh, okay
3: app
0: okay oh so. Well, I'll describe it to you. He's he's in a a red dry suit. It almost appears to be some sort of neoprene type of dry suit, but he's definitely got a rebreather. You're seeing the big wide hose like you'd have in a breather, rebreather. And on the rebreather, he's using some fairly large tanks, at least 80s on there. But they're handing him an ROV, which looks like that. Op- the newest version of an open ROV. It's not, but it's a uh, same size. You know, it's about the size of a large briefcase. But this is a National Geographic article.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've got our Skype conversation uh, screen here and I'm seeing the links that were posted from last week, but I'm mm-hmm. not seeing links from this week here. So yeah. they'll probably show up once we're done.
0: So, yeah. Wow. This is, this is cool. He's got quite an outfit. He's got some good support. They're showing people on the surface who are watching the video feed. So it's not that he was running down to depth to do the video. They're actually seeing it on the surface. Though. They have. They must have had a tether, tether to the top.
2: Well, it sounds like someone needs a longer tether, or maybe they're well past the operational limits of that <laughs> ROV. Well, it is. it could We <laughs> need to hit crushed depth here. <laughs>
3: so.
0: Yeah, he says, I I focused on a task, and I've done this cave many times to a depth of uh, approximately 200 meters. I feel pretty confident. So he's doing 200 meters, and that's a 600-foot cave dive. Yeah, that's what, like Did like we a lose 630? Mac again?
2: 30. Yeah, to, to my knowledge, Mac has not been back. I haven't Call heard anything. failed.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I I bet he's got a Skype update. We we may run into Holy. the same thing.
2: Uh. Well, I'm going to uh, connect with you with Skype sometime between now and the next and the next show, just to make sure that we're um, up to snuff on that. So, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and keep me posted about what you come up with as far as um, you know all, alternate venues.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. we'll do we'll uh, we'll do.
2: I want to- I want a chance to get a little bit familiar with it before we're actually up and running on it. So yeah.
0: Just well, whenever up. I change something like that, we, we might do a, a dry run at some point between now and then. And then here we have an, an article where they're talking about yeast has been rescued from a 220-year-old shipwreck, and they're looking to use the yeast to make beer. And Why not? Yeah. Better
2: use yeast. <laughs> yeah.
0: 1796, the Sydney Cove sailed from India with a cargo of goodies, including tea, tobacco— and from our perspective, the most important item was booze. The ship headed towards Sydney, Australia, but rounding the continent's southern coast it sank near Preservation Island, where the wreck was discovered centuries later, in 1977. Among the artifacts found the ship were corked bottles of wine and beer. 220 years after the ship sank, scientists are now looking through the surviving bottles, extract yeast, and use it to make beer. The beer is a distinctly light and fresh flavor, giving a taste that has not been sipped for two centuries. This is according to David Thorogood, museum conservator and one-time chemist. This is to the Australian Geographic. Biles were brought to the surface in 1990 and decanted. 25 years later, Thorogood started wondering if the alcohol samples might still contain yeast. A team of DNA specialists examined the samples and found two types of live yeast, one common yeast used in brewery, the other a throwback that's not often used in beer these days. It's an obvious question here. How do they know that the yeast is not old and not modern? Uh, scientists considered that, and they gave the, the yeast DNA check. The genetic sequences are unique to science, which convinced researchers that they're dealing with a granddaddy yeast. Right now there's limited opportunities to taste the beer, but the museum is looking to put its old yeast to work making commercial beer that could help financially support the collection of artifacts from the shipwreck. Beer fermented by this yeast probably won't taste dramatically different from beer from a yeast lineage that didn't come from the shipwreck. But as gimmicks go, it's an excellent, according author. That's kind of my thought: is if if it well, tasted it, really good, would we really have gone away from using it?
2: Well, but tastes change over the centuries. I mean, um, you know, just look at look at look at the beer you enjoyed back in you know back in college. Would you enjoy it today? Yeah, probably
0: not. I didn't drink no. beer in college. <laughs> I mean, no. I taste. I had tasted beer, but I it. I've only been recently. I would say in the last 10 years, much of a beer drinker, and even that, not a lot. I mean, uh, everybody hold their ears, but, you know, I like uh, the be- the beers that most people think are the gimmicky beers. Like, I like a Blue boon, you know, some of the Weed Ales. I like an IPA. Mm-hmm. Guinness I didn't used to like. I've kind of gotten a taste for it recently where that's not bad occasionally.
2: Yeah, but when you look at just how much your taste has changed over a couple of decades.
0: Oh, certainly, imagine- yeah.
2: What, what uh, you know, a culture's taste changes over, you know, two, 2.2 centuries.
0: Well, um, the the mass-produced beers of today that we use, are, they, they want them to be consistent. You look in the U.S., and I'm not talking, you know, if you, if you ignore the last 20 years, we went from having thousands of breweries to maybe having less than 50. I know I, I worked with people where their dads worked in breweries. Every town, I mean, we're pulling bottles up from the river. You know, South Bend, Indiana probably had five or six breweries at one point in time. And then they, over the time, consolidated. Now we're seeing a resurgence of craft beer, but until well, and,
2: that point. You know, and who knows what the taste, what what the effect. Like. I know a, a, a friend of a friend of mine is making a, a honey mead, and she offered me some, well, I was with the place last couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was not at all what I expected, you know. I mean, mead—I was expecting something not far from, from beer. I mean, and honey maybe a little bit sweet. No, it actually tasted a lot like a like a, like a sweet white wine.
3: Oh, really?
2: um, You know, it was almost kind of like, like a Zinfandel or something. It was, uh, you know, or a, no, not only really a Zinfandel. Um, oh, Zinfandel blush. But it was, you know, like a a sweet white wine. It was, you know, not at all what I expected for mead. So
0: right. Yeah I've wanted to try I'd like to have something that's historically accurate just to try to say I've I've had it because I think part of it you have to think of living that long ago how much how important food is to us today it would have had to have been the same thing, or maybe even more so. You know, that may be how you tell the seasons are changed. That you may have a different drink different times of the year, and also water wasn't of a quality where certain cultures uh, you had to ferment. I mean, something alcoholic was what you drank to keep you from getting sick. You know, the water wasn't good. They didn't. We didn't understand bacteria and everything to the the extent we did now. But they knew if all you did was drink wine and beer, <laughs> you didn't get the uh, you didn't you didn't sit over the log for days on end.
2: Yeah, but they, they were a lot tougher back then, you know. They, 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 could, they could eat drink things, which uh, would put us in the hospital now. <laughs> I, mean, I, uh, I believe that. They, 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 they had a real tolerance effect. That's, um, I believe that's why women actually have a better sense of smell than men do, because they had to, uh, for um, millennia, had to be able to tell whether the food they were giving to the infant was foul or was bad or not. And so they you know developed a stronger sense of smell. To uh, be able to, you know, rule it out. He told them, hopefully, the infants would survive, <laughs> so.
0: or to make sure that they gave their guys some some food that was really bad.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, us guys are we're good with that because well, we we don't quite notice the diaper as soon as they do. So we're good with that. That's <laughs> oh, you stinky! I didn't notice that. Really, that's why I gave it back to you already. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's there's a whole another conversation there.
2: Oh yeah, and we're gonna get in trouble here too. So we better watch it.
0: Well, how about some? Um, oh, look get Mac into the group. Yeah, he. I think he is running an ever-fateful Microsoft update. Thank you, Microsoft, for being such dicks. I had to, and that's and that's mild compared to what I earlier. Yeah, you know, it's you're gonna edit, you're gonna edit that out or no, not 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 at all. You know, fine. <laughs> They're you know they they want me to edit out. Well, they can sponsor us. You know, you know, start knocking ten grand my way and guaranteeing a freaking connection, and then we'll we'll worry about it at that point. You know, I write them checks. You know, you look at all how many th- tens of thousands of dollars I spend with them a year. And yeah, it can get insulted because I called their software crap since they took it over. Uh, GoPro, as we talk about technology, and this now Microsoft, who's running the website that has the GoPro article up, bastards. <laughs> what is this? It's like a conspiracy. Are, are you I seeing the same make- thing I'm seeing? I can't of- get to the frickin' article. Because they want to tell tell me about Hurricane Matthew. Yeah,
2: yeah. The not, I
0: I I don't think the hurricane is going to hit me in Michigan. So just give me my freaking article. Yeah,
2: I don't see it. And I was scrolling through earlier. It's not just for. They must have changed the link a while ago on this one.
0: So yeah, th- this is their their four hundred four page. So just will just make you go to whatever. So GoPro launched the Hero Five, and they also launched a Karma drone. Uh, nothing big in the updates. Just. Uh, you know, GoPro had been on a fairly rapid pace, and it had been a little bit of time, a little bit over a year, since they had done an update. Uh, so this is this was due. Uh, they've got their their full line Hero Pro, and they also have the the cube. And unfortunately, they take some of the features off that little cube because for divers, I think that'd be attractive just to have a smaller object. But to, if you want all the Wi-Fi and additional features in there, you really need to go to the Hero Pro. But the the big news was they launched that drone which I, I think it's fine. I think they, they probably needed to. Uh, there's plenty of drone companies that have a head start on them. So it's up to, you know, it's going to take them a little bit of time to catch up. You know, maybe they need to add some features. You know, they, they need to do kind of like what Apple does. Apple goes into an area and they develop a, a product and then they make it seem like it didn't exist. Before. And I didn't get that sense from GoPro and the Karma drone. It just felt like a, a fairly decent drone, but with the GoPro name, so if you're into an ecosystem and you've got all the GoPro and you think they're great, then maybe it's worth getting the Karma drone. But you've got EIJ and many other drone companies who are doing a good job. And you know, if, if you're happy with what you've got, why would you change? And I didn't see anything that made me think we should.
2: Yeah, just have to look at the features on it and see if there's any, which which you must have. And what I'm seeing here, I, I don't, I'm not able to get a good assessment just glancing at the website because I'm looking at the uh, the GoPro. Website right now, and of course they're they're pumping the Hero Five Black, Hero Five Session, Hero Hero Session. They're all their latest products here. And, and you know, and and yeah, it's 4K, but they've they've had 4K. k and know the I know the four that I have was a was a 4K camera. You
3: I
0: know, that's, like that's the nothing. the idea of 4K, and I've talked to people who do a lot of video editing, and they like the 4K because they can crop within that 4K image and still end up with HD.
2: Well. I'm seeing some new features here, though. I think like the the voice control is a new feature from the four, but that's not going to do us a lot of good with with the, with the regulator in your mouth. No. Uh, touch display, you know, that's that's a, that's new from the four, but again, I I presume that's not going to function inside the you know the uh, the housing. We take down to 130 feet. Um, see what? 12 megapixel, 12 megapixel. That hasn't changed. Um, the controls have changed. This has got just one button as opposed to the three which the previous cameras had. That'll be a little bit more challenging, I think. But I'm sure you get used to it. Uh, not sure if they had video stabilization on the four. Well, shooting in RAW though—that's that's new.
0: You, they didn't have that's shooting right. in RAW before.
2: I don't believe they have RAW on the four. That was not a feature I recall from the four. I haven't yeah. got the, I don't have the manual in front of me here, but I don't think that RAW was a feature on the four. Yeah, that, that's of course, one you know, that
0: always—it it always sounds good. I mean, it's one of those things that, for you know, the real technical among us, we like to see if you can do raw. But mm-hmm. it's do you really have to be doing doing something that you can take advantage of it? Because it it does tend to be just an extra step, and it really makes a file. Long.
2: Well, that and there really there really aren't that many people who I mean, probably not even five percent of uh, person person who buys a GoPro is going to be able to even manipulate the raw. Um, you know, they're really and with the, the photo editing software we use today. I mean, that does you know more than the average user is going to need anyway. Um, you know, it, it's not like you know shooting it in RAW is going to going to make the uh, the white snowman show up show up in the uh, in the snowstorm on you there. Right. So I mean, it's uh, it helps, but there's a lot of you can do with the RAW. I'm not really an expert on it, obviously, but um, most of us aren't going to use the RAW. I mean,
0: no, No, what, what the, what the RAW allows is if I was a videographer and I wanted to do as much as I could with the end footage, I'd want the RAW because nothing's been done. That's exactly what that sensor saw. So if I've got some really good software, say I've got video coming in from a GoPro and I've got video that's coming in from a red camera and I've got video that's coming in from a Nikon or Canon D5, I've got all these sources. What I can do is I can create some really advanced profiles that when I ingest that video into my video editing software, I can automate that balancing and I get something that you may not be able to tell the difference between... What was shot on on the individual camera? So that's really where that plays into. It plays into a workflow of people who are doing some advanced things, and they have a need. uh, And you don't lose any information. You you've got that raw data, and Adobe and many other companies will actually look at the the data, the metadata assigned with the the file, and be able to create these profiles that will do corrections and adjustments so it's a very cool thing and from a geek standpoint I, I absolutely love the idea and the option of having it but it's been a long time since i've taken on my own intentionally shot a raw file i did something last year where i played around with it and it seems like the better the quality of sensor the more light you need so in the shot in the spots where i probably could have used it the video wasn't even usable with the raw data because i it wasn't properly lit. So you've got other things.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I like having the, the larger sensor. I mean, um, you know, I, I found that using the uh, the Canon I recently went to, um, you know, it'll, it'll pick up so much light down there. It seems all kind of washed out almost until you start subtracting. Mm-hmm. And once you start subtracting and, you know, knocking it down, uh, it's amazing what pops out at you. Um, you know, I, I like having, having the larger sensor. In fact, when, I, when I'm, you know, camera shopping, that's you know, one of the main things oh. I'm looking at is that the, the, the sensor
0: size. Oh, certainly for for the quality, but that's independent of RAW. I mean, RAW is just a way of taking that data. But, yeah, you know, the bigger sensor is, is certainly better, and, you're, you know, the more sensitivity to light, which you're seeing that all along. I remember my first iPhone I had uh, really didn't do that good if it was even sometimes you, you'd you look at a photo and you're like oh why that's so dark and you're thinking well it was six o'clock you know in october but it wasn't like dark i mean i could easily see but the camera couldn't and now you're seeing it to where i think some of the cameras actually have better low light than our own eyes so it's starting to come around and, and we're not too many years away from uh you know full color very low light uh producing really good image
2: well yeah i mean but, i mean but today's cameras um, and even some of the cell phone cameras are, are getting pretty decent there um, but you know don't, don't don't be fooled by you know the uh, everyone being so, so pixel hungry it seems like the next camera coming out on your phone it's always got four more pixel four more megapixels than the last one did mm-hmm. but you know how big do you plan on blowing up that picture here I mean unless you're gonna make somebody life-size so you can check out the pores on their nose um, you know you, you, it's just overkill yeah. and when you have what the thing to look at is, you know, the actual size of the pixels now. When um, you, you know, so I think CNET will do it when they're evaluating a camera. They will take uh, the size of the sensor and uh, the number of, and divide it by the number of pixels to give you, you know, the actual size of those pixels. And what you end up with is having you know pixels that are so small. That they have a it's really challenging to 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 get a photon on them, and that is why so many of you know the, the the picture comes all all yellowed whenever you're inside because you just don't have enough photons registering on on that CMOS sensor now. So yeah, you can have as many pixels as you want, but it's just not going to help you with your low light, and that is really it, it can even hurt you with the low light, and that's that is your weak point with so many of your cell phone cameras. I mean, no, they're great for taking pictures outdoors, but inside, well, maybe some are, some aren't, mm-hmm. and yeah, you 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 would think that they would they would slow down the shutter speed, but I think it's because they're biasing the program so much to eliminate the blur that yeah. because when you with, with the slower shutter now you have blur and you, you know of course that they can't adjust the aperture size, so they're kind of limited as just what they can do, okay. and you know. If, if you want good pictures, you're probably not going to get them with your cell phone camera. Yeah. So.
0: Well, you're starting to see, like, the approach Adobe, not Adobe, Apple did, where they went to two cameras. So you're doing is you're having one camera is focused on one aspect and one is on another. In the case of Apple, they did a couple things. One was to have it zoomed in. So you got one camera that's got a lens that's better at a zoom and one that's better farther out. And then... In certain situations, are able to combine that data together, where you use one camera for measuring light, and then you've got the other one, which is actually giving you traditional detail. So I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, people getting creative because these these sensors are pennies a piece. So as long as you can economically and you've got the space in your in your hardware for it, you're going to start putting additional lenses in uh, to try and give you some some features.
2: Well, and the, and actually that's not like a cutting edge feature. I know that my my Canon. The T5I, and I want to say it's about a, at least a two year old camera. Um, you know, it has a feature on it, and I don't think that the feature was necessarily new on this camera. Where uh, it will actually take three shots and combine them. I think I think it's three. It, it might be more, oh, like, yeah. it, but it'll, it'll actually take several pictures and, and combine them. And it's, it's it's as if you get the best features of each individual shot. Yeah. I haven't experimented with using it underwater yet. I mean, not using that feature underwater. But uh, you know, yeah, it really does brighten things
0: up. So yeah, yeah, and, and we're just going to get because a lot of this they're they're doing within software in the camera. So I think I think you've got the HDR feature, which is similar to what you're describing, and, you, and we're going to see more of that. So I, I'm all for it. What 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 kind of amazes me is uh, without doing anything fancy, I can get a better quality picture many times out of my my Samsung cell phone than I can out of my full frame digital SLR. So you know, and, and part of it's me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell everybody that you know that it's not better. I mean, because I ultimately, I mean, if you've got the time, if you're doing the light, if you're setting up the shot, definitely the SLR will do a better image. But if you're not taking the time and you just got both of them and you're gonna turn it on, two seconds later take a photo, put it away. I get I have better luck a cell phone. All
2: right, well- each their own.
0: <laughs> uh, Then also, uh, another article we had was that Nikon had. A, they're, they're getting into the action camera market, and I'm running the same thing with Microsoft. So either, as you said, they've changed the link or they're so obsessed with this hurricane that they won't let anybody look at anything else. Maybe they're afraid I can't run away from the hurricane if I'm looking at an article. Uh, but they've got a new line of rugged action cameras. And it was, it was a nice camera. It, it looked okay. Uh, I mean, you're entering a crowded market, so it just puts them into it to say that they've got something, but you know, considering what we do with underwater, the the more the better. I like the idea of they they make these these action cameras a little bit better. I like the idea of having the action camera inside a housing because the housing floods. I just feel like an action camera that's already somewhat waterproof can survive it a little.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to find a different link to the uh, Nikon's rugged camera here. Um, I'm seeing them on Amazon. That uh, doesn't have a housing on the Coolpix. Series. Do, 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 do you know which which series it was?
0: Uh, it just was released. I mean, this was in the last month. Okay. But it was it was a square camera. You know, it looked to be a little bit larger than the GoPro.
2: Yeah, when I'm when I'm looking at them online, I'm seeing you know 16 megapixel rugged cameras by Nikon. But most of them are their Coolpix. Looks like they have like a bit you know uh, they have rubber. On the uh, areas that would get dropped, when it would impact, yeah. when I got when it yeah, top. yeah, that,
0: that that's correct. That was the one that
2: basically, Yeah, basically, it, it's it's a, got, got some armor on it, pretty much. So, mm-hmm. ooh, this is cool. This one's even got camouflage on it.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, they they had some nice. It's it. Uh, I don't really think they were specifically aiming it at divers, but it did have some water protection. So I thought it was mentioning.
2: Well, well, you know, some of these waterproof cameras, though, it'll surprise you. You know, if if you get like one that's rated for snorkeling, um, you know, I I, I have a. A Coleman that's only rated for 22 feet for snorkeling, but, uh, years ago my underwater camera died, so I, well, the Coleman, I didn't have much money in it, we'll see if, how far it goes. And I had it down to almost, uh, almost 70 feet. Of- bon (laughs) tear it survived it survived Uh, i want to say around like 60 feet the pressure on the buttons made it lock up on me there so it it, it did not function beyond 60
0: feet yeah because i I ran into and this is a really old camera you can see it on the scuba obsessed website but we had i think it was an inktova and that was what i ran into is that if you had it running the video mode or something before you went down it was fine but when you got to depth you could not activate the button they just wouldn't release enough the pressure was pushing them in so that when you got down you couldn't press them and change a mode
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of had that issue and i was i was kind of frustrated when i was fortunate i was diving the thomas hume i had two cameras with me and they were kind of alternating going back and forth between that (laughs) yeah yeah so um one worked a little bit then one worked a little bit so i was actually able to take pictures the entire dive but not with both cameras at the same time (laughs) So that's okay. uh,
0: the way it goes sometimes. I so, kind of the get what you pay for in some of the- it.
2: I paid some money for one of those cameras, though. I was a little disappointed. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, here we've got an Indiegogo campaign for its AK. A-A-K. I'm not sure if that's a good acronym or not. The 180 diving mask. And they are hoping to raise 23000 in a flexible go with Indiegogo. Indiegogo, when you do a flexible go, you get the money even if you don't reach the milestone, but they're $199 away. With five days left, so I'm pretty sure they're going to make it. But what they're doing is they've got a it's the it's a diving mask with a single lens that is designed to help peripheral vision. Now, you, if you listen to them, they think it's the only single lens mask ever made. But just look at an old uh, uh Jacques Cousteau or what was what was the TV series Dive Hunters? Or oh, C, uh, uh, no, not Sea Sea, sea Hunters. Hunter,
2: yeah.
0: Was it Sea yeah. Hunt? I'm, I'm thinking something yeah. else. The one with oh, yeah, yeah, that, that one. Yeah, every, everybody who's uh, <laughs> listening in their car is screaming at us. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the big oval, you yeah, get the Cyclops lens. You know, we had those mm-hmm. before. But the idea well, yeah, behind yeah, it.
2: But- but the cyclop lens only looked forward. You had you still have pretty good tunnel vision in that. I mean this yeah. this is a wraparound here.
0: Yeah. And and that's really what they're trying to say, is that it's a wraparound, you got peripheral vision. At first I thought they were talking about a prescription lens, but it's just one with uh chest. It's it's one that uh looks around. So for they had some early birds which were one hundred and twenty dollars plus shipping, and you got the dive mask. They're now to the point where they've got uh well probably Sixty-five out of a hundred left of the hundred and fifty, which is the package. Or if you've got uh, a loved one, or you want a backup for yourself, two hundred ninety will get you two. So I, I think it's interesting. My concern is that a, it looks like it'd be a fairly high volume mask, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, I, I'm I'm thinking that for the more technically savvy. Plus, if you, if you look at some of their shots, they're they're trying to they they show you this dark blast mask, and you're and you're looking. Yeah, you don't have peripheral vision, but it's not nearly as much tunnel vision as what they're showing in their image. But-
3: well, and it's kind
2: of peculiar the way uh, it goes around the nose there. I mean, I'm not seeing any shots from the bottom, but it's definitely going to be a different nose, a different... Uh, uh, clearing your ears experience with this mask.
0: Well, if you look at the, f- the first photo where you see her looking straight ahead with it on, y- you can see it coming up in the cavity, and that, I think that's there so that you can, it's showing you yeah. that you can go in and, and pinch, your pinch,
2: pinch your nose. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, which would be what I'd be, I, you'd at least have to have that. If you don't have that, then it's a snorkeling mask. You can't go that deep.
2: Oh. Yeah, and you can see that further down, but it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very different way to do it. Mm-hmm. I know that some people, you know, uh, have a hard time clear, you know, clearing and just, you know, it's going to be a different experience for clearing your ears than a traditional mask is, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying
0: here. Well, what I'm wondering is, is they're making a big deal that it's the first one, but I'm looking at it and I'm not seeing anything that looks so unique that maybe somebody else didn't have it. And then I'm also wondering, is this really going to be dependent on your size? You know, is it because, you know, if you've got a broader face than somebody else, is this going to fit on? Okay. Does this need to be mm-hmm. fitted to a face? I mean, they're showing a model where uh, actually in the picture it looks like her head's too narrow for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, then it, it's, I don't know, it's they have a pretty broad skirt on it though, so it they probably has a, has a pretty large contact area. Yeah. Um,
0: you could do a lot with silicone. To... You could you could have a, a a lot of variable area that can be used to fit. Yeah, hmm. no,
2: it's you have people diving with them though, and the on uh, the other video, but the light doesn't appear to be very deep. But then it's hard to say.
0: Um, I'm one of those people. I can't buy a hat off the rack 90% of the time. The one size fits all doesn't fit. But, hopefully, you know, good luck to them. It looks like they're they're one dive mask away from being fully funded, at least what they needed. And it looks like they were engineered, and the reason they were doing the, the Indiegogo campaign was because they just needed a little bit of extra cash up front to be able to create their first production.
2: Well, but, you know, like I said, they, they've had those, you know, multi, um uh, Lens masks for some time where you you still had peripheral vision. I mean, there was like a you know an edge to the mask there, but
0: um, oh yeah, I've I've got some masks that are probably 15 years old that I picked up at a yard sale. And you've got the forward facing lens, and then you've got peripheral side lens, so you could see out. Yeah, but, uh, cool. Like to see more gear. Well, that does it for scuba in the news. Let's see. we're gonna give Mac another try. I don't know if he's still there or not. Uh, that's all. Going to call failed immediately. Just one of those weeks, say. But we did have a lot of diving in. This was the week where we had the ecology dive in Niles, Michigan, on the St. Joseph River, right there behind the Wonderland Cinema. And I'd like to do a shout out to Scuba Tech who came and dove with us. I came all the way from Chicago, listened to the show, wanted to get get a dive in, and had his first river experience. And he did quite well. I pulled quite a bit of gear out.
2: Yeah, I mean Matt. You know, Matt came out with his wife and. Uh you know, they uh, joined us, and I, I think he made two dives. like He yeah. was actually putting on a second tank and went back I, in. It,
0: it, it, um, I think he was in the water as much as I was. I, he got in within a few minutes of me getting in, and I did two tanks. And when I got out, he was just getting out. So he he had some good bottom time in there. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of depth in, but I, I lost track of how much time we were in the water. How, how long were you in? Oh, no, you were diving a boat.
2: Yeah, I, I was boat diving on the far side, and I was um, – working area where the current was just obscene so yeah. i and then i ended up doing a lot a lot of shuttling um mm-hmm. there were quite a, a number of divers who um ended up on the far side that, who made it across the river okay but then once we we're over there were just completely winded or very low on air or just wanted to ride
0: <laughs> i don't yeah, know in many cases it was wanted to ride.
2: yeah and i ended up you know shuttling divers equipment um you know back and forth you know loads of loads of gear um i know I, I picked up dan on the on the far side and he wasn't going to relinquish his uh, his fines and he had a car battery he'd pulled out down there i mean he, he, <laughs> he, he was real serious about what he was pulling out of the river
0: he was going and, for the heavy stuff
2: yeah his his uh oh his float was barely afloat because <laughs> he had a car battery into the bucket, <laughs> just,
0: so so uh, so you can visualize what we're talking about. Is imagine a car inner tube tire with a milk crate in the middle, and he just plopped the the car battery in, and it was getting pretty sunk.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it definitely was sitting low, and you know we're, we're trying to tow him across the river, and I mean we, we want I kind of wanted to get people in the boat. The problem is the current was moving so fast. And the way my boat's set up, you, you, it's not a large enough boat to have a, a serious dive ladder on it, so you have to, t- t- to take off your rig, uh, beaner it down, climb in, and, and hoist it up behind you. And with the current the way it was, we just didn't have enough floating time. If, if, I, if I had shut the motor off long enough for that to happen, we'd have been almost to the next county by the time we would we, we, we <laughs> dive diving. So we're you know kind of hustling back and forth and trying not to hurt anybody or... Um, yeah, it, it it got interesting. Everyone everyone was safe. We we played it safe and safe and slow and all that, but uh you know, the current that day was pretty stout. You know, yeah. we had um, at least three divers who who were genuinely stranded over there, um and we had a few that just kind of wanted to go for a ride, too. And so, yeah, we made it work,
0: you know. Yeah, so. To give everybody kind of a background, what an ecology dive is, is you're going in the water and removing all that crap, all the trash, all the junk that shouldn't be there. Anything that is not natural uh, that we might not want to save for later, we're bringing up. So the idea was to make a show of force and to see how much trash we can get out. And kudos to the shore support for helping us because we had Dave Tonneman who was a diver and then we had his wife Dawn who came and she, gosh, she was helped me about every time I popped up, she was right there and, and pulling stuff out and we're able to get three to four times the amount of trash out with that shore support. And then you would drive in the boat. Um, but we're, we're just seeing how much garbage we can get out of the river. And, uh, we had, I don't know if I've heard the official count yet, but we had well over 10 divers in the water and, uh, about the same amount of shores. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we had a great turnout for that. Um, you know, we, we had we had refreshments. We had hospitality tent going on up there. Uh, it was a, it was a good thing for the public too. I mean, because there was a uh, a parade in town.
0: Yeah, and, 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 so, and who was it who brought refreshments? I feel like I need to uh, thank her and her mother for bringing all that stuff. Through. They had an easy up. They had donuts. They had coffee. They they had a, they they bought a Coleman grill. You know, those little you know gas grills and they were warming up water which even though it wasn't a yeah. terribly nasty day we did get a little bit of rain but just having that yeah. you know yeah, warmth that, that, when you popped up was awesome
2: yeah that, that that was uh karen mann and her mother had yes. had, had that that tent set up i I had, I had a small tent set up but mine was nothing compared to theirs yeah um and we had yeah i mean um you know and when the when the public would come down because we had you know people were very curious they'd see all the flags and all the activity and we had quite a few uh you know non-divers stroll through the area and uh you know uh, karen and her mother would kind of give a spiel about uh you know the hospitality uh, about the uh, the ecology dive and the purpose of what we were doing here and um you know there were people that were hanging around by the dumpster giving us a hand loading things up in the dumpster and mm-hmm. uh i know we pulled an awful lot of metal that ended up being scrapped out of there as well uh, yeah, Um I wanna oh. do a little shout out here. Uh, you know, it was, we had, uh, prizes donated by, uh, uh, SAS. Uh, yep. SAS uh,
0: subaquatic, yeah. uh, dive shop out of Battle Creek.
2: Yep, they, they, they donated. We also had prizes donated by, uh, Wolf's Marine there in, in, in St. Joe Benton Harbor area. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. That was, uh, you know, really, uh, made the evening go a little further there. That was, uh, very thoughtful of you guys. We appreciate it
0: uh and then also we have to thank uh the Bering county sheriff's department they provided lieutenant kurtz he had the sheriff's department boat out there in the river just to to watch over us and make sure that we didn't get run over by other boaters in the river uh and, yes. and did you know you being on the top side did you see any fishermen who were a little perturbed with us kind of restraining uh navigation through the river um
2: you know i don't think that they really were restrained at all coming through there um you know they the idea was, with the sheriff, was that they're were, they're were going to go through that. They had to do it at a at a, 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 a very restrained speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I don't believe the fishermen actually were restricted as where they could go. Just that right. uh, you know, you keep the keep the speed down, kind of thing yeah, there, because yeah. was you know, yeah.
0: Uh, so. Underwater, I could hear the the motions, but I I didn't feel like I was ever had anybody floating right over my head. And then we also had the city of Niles provide a dumpster. And not only did they provide a dumpster for us to put trash in, but they provided somebody to man it. Uh, I guess the gentleman worked for the city of Niles and also for the uh, for the garbage company. So he was there at the dumpster, and he was excited. I mean, he shook everybody's hand and thanked everybody for putting trash into it. And I understand the city of Niles was ecstatic about getting stuff picked up out of the water which is great to, to have that level of support but we filled uh, a small dumpster but some of the objects in there because i helped put some of them in i mean we had it seemed like anything you could fill with concrete people make into an anchor so there was yeah uh, jugs filled with concrete there were bay- pails filled with concrete there were some fancy bollards uh, like pillars that were made with concrete uh that were well, we pulled there was- out
2: there, there were some some signposts too that had like concrete bases to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not uh, some things that looked kind of like they might have been uh, you know post mounted trash cans with concrete putters yeah. to them. Uh, yeah, there, there, there was quite a bit of concrete came out of there. So, yeah. um, so I, like- I was amazed at what. John was able to get up and get up in his boat. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have a winch in there, but my gosh, he, he got some. He, he pulled some very heavy objects out of there, and then yeah. then, then Dave Dave Tonhaman pulls that crankshaft out of there. He's got two lift bags out there, <laughs> and you know, looking at it, I sat down and I counted the journals on it, and it was you know, it had a uh, six. Uh, you know offsets on it, which meant it's a off, off a six-cylinder engine. But that was a big crankshaft, and yeah. those those were large journals. So that that must have been some old truck engine or something there, maybe a diesel. I don't know. Oh yeah,
0: um, yeah. He, he uh, had so a lift bag, them. and he wasn't afraid to use it.
2: He he, he had two lift bags on that baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he oh, working, so he had to break so, out. Yeah. He had broke out both of them. So yeah, That's a pretty he, serious he two, crankshaft.
2: Well, uh, you know that that crankshaft, I, I gave it a test heft, and I'm sure the thing was, you know. 120, 130 pounds anyway. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was a beefy crankshaft. So
0: now, So, so yeah. we had a trailer that was probably 20 feet long by, you know, five, six feet wide that was filled with steel. So any idea, I don't think we've heard what the steel weight was, but any idea how much that was in weight? Enough
2: to make it sit, enough to make it sit a whole lot lower. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, looking at it, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm sure it was over a thousand pounds. I'm yeah. not sure how much more, a thousand pounds, but, uh, you know, it, it was well over it was not, not a thousand pounds of metal on there, I'm sure.
0: So I we, mean, we had, uh, pipe. Uh, I mean, I know I pulled pipe out. We had electrical cabinets, shopping carts. All sorts tires, of tires,
2: uh, all kinds of tires pulled out of there. Oh, yeah, I mean, the,
0: the, just... tire, the tires, and the, that went to the, the – it was nice having the guy at the dumpster because he could help us sort, but oh, gosh, I pulled out a – was it wasn't It was even a regular tire, it was a truck. tire. That was a beast mm-hmm. to get up because I lifted it up onto the dock with the help of our shore support. But I bet you that dumpster, you know, we probably had to have 5,000 pounds in it.
2: 5,000? You think so? No, it, it wasn't that big of a dumpster, so I don't think it was – because it was what it was about a three yard dumpster, two yard dumpster, was not that large of a dumpster. Um, and, and I, I only saw that I was one of the first to start putting things in there. So I didn't really see how full it got.
0: So oh, it was to the um, top. I mean, you could have still fit more in, but you you were getting to the point where you would had to fit it around the edges. The lid mm-hmm. closed, but it was it was the perfect size. But I think if they're going to do it again next year, you know, bump it up to the next size. Yeah. Uh, but there, yeah. there were tires and some of the stuff in there that concrete. Man, I know that there was well over a thousand. I, I would feel comfortable. Yeah, a lot of lot of glass. You know, I was I was taking the opportunity for all, any broken bottles or glass pieces I was putting up in there. But we got photos. Yeah. If you go to the, uh, I, I don't know if we got them on the Mug Club website yet, but on the Facebook page for Mug Club, they're out there, and we'll get some out, and then probably we'll use the show notes for this week. ScubaObsessed.com will have uh, some photos. What we didn't get was we didn't get a photo of everybody all together. It was kind of a, a loose start. We, you know, it was nice. Uh, it's been a few years since we've done one, so was, you know appreciate Jim Schultz for organizing it and Mary Beth uh, for helping organize it and then everybody for the effort. To, but we, we didn't get that team photo of everybody who came out. It was kind of a staggered start. You know When you showed up, you, yeah, went and you got in the water.
2: Yeah, people really just kind of kind of came and went, you know, and then we had, you know, some people who were, you know, providing uh, shore support for a while and then went diving later and, and, and vice versa, so you know, it really wasn't, wouldn't have been a really, never was a good time to get everyone involved. Because so I think by the time everyone's out of the water, you know, people people had left already and things. And it was it was a very casual event.
0: Yeah, so. what we almost need to do is have like an official start time. Like nobody's in the water before this time, and then have a time twenty minutes before saying, "Hey, if you want in the photo, here's the time to be here, and we'll get everybody in the photo." Now, Mac, I think would have sacrificed the photo shot. To be able to get in and get a head start, because <laughs> he was Whoa. in. He he was in to win, and it, well, even it, though it isn't a college dive, uh, we did give away prizes. And as you know, Mac, of course, was the top grubber.
2: Well, if it's somewhat of a competition, though, I mean, maybe we should look at it. You know, running it kind of like a bass tournament. You know, we all kind yeah. of you, you start at the same time, and if you want to be at the weigh-in, you got to be there at the weigh-in. You know, yeah. so well, and and that's
0: uh, kind of how we've done in the past. This was a little casual compared to those but uh mac was i mean i i think half his tank half his dive tanks that he's got have, have all been uh prizes from ecology dives but he he won for i think just the sheer volume and then uh who was it john yeah john, john did overhead yeah um he he, he won he had, for the most unusual was it or the biggest
2: um i think i well i know john got second place yeah. up there and I think, it, uh, although I mean, John had so much metal there. I I, I, I saw Max pile too, but I know Max kind of had stuff kind of spread all over the place too. Uh, I I wasn't one of the judges, so mm-hmm. and actually uh, John was still hauling things up when I left. I, I had another another engagement. I, so I, I, I left think
0: him yeah, I guy. think he had. I think it was something to do with the un, unusual. It was something. He, uh, I mean, they definitely were the top two, both in volume yeah. and then. You
2: know. Yeah, it was Otto. How I many of us were fighting a lot of a lot of crayfish in our finds? Oh yes. But, yeah. I mean, the jars, a number of us were, were finding, you know, some rather upset crayfish. They, they did not like being transplanted
0: the way they were. It kind of so. reminds me of that finding Nemo when they're like, mine, mine. Yeah, that's that they were, they'd come out kind of clicking away, been a upset that they were disturbed. Mm-hmm. And I, I returned the the one that I, I found.
2: Yeah, I, I I ended up having two of them in my boat after we had got the glass all out of it there. Yeah, I, I, I put them back in the water. Um, one thing I would have liked to have you know, pulled out of the water was – uh I actually, had a sea lamprey right down there. Oh, I, really I didn't surprised.
0: see any. Wow.
2: I, 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 I verified with Mac. I, I suspected that's what it was, and uh, was talking with Mac about it. And he's like, uh, he, he dives that more than anyone, and he confirmed. Yeah, there are. Uh, yeah. Rarely, you, you do see sea lampreys in that area, and you know makes you makes you want to wear a hood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you wouldn't want one of them chowing outside of your. Yeah. visibility was remarkably good because we had rain i was worried earlier in the week we had rain overnight i think it was tuesday night and then thursday it rained quite a bit so we had a good day of rain and i was expecting visibility to be poop but we had eight to ten feet Uh, you could tell the difference when the sun was out it was much better than when it got kind of cloudy when it got cloudy it went down to four feet is instant. And it just didn't seem as happy. There's something about light and that natural sunlight coming in the river. That's a happy. I could stand underneath water forever.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the Viz was pretty decent out there. I mean, unless you were downstream from somebody who was mucking it up course.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but, uh, I, I would use that to determine do I need to duck because uh, there's a few times we had bumped into stuff. I had bumped in the mat a couple times. There's a few other divers who I'd, I'd gotten close to, so I would kind of do that little. Uh, you, you develop a technique because we had a pretty good current. Uh, coming down and you can either face into the current have your butt up which will kind of push you down the bottom or i like to do kind of a crab walk where i'm going sideways but when i'm doing that and then it gets dark my upstream arm i'll block because i don't want somebody kicking my regulator or my mask off my head uh, when they come sliding down into me but uh yeah i mean it was a safe dive i don't think we had anybody with with any collisions that i'm aware of
2: no we had to watch for logs coming down the stream oh man
0: there were some logs and these aren't like you know a little fire fire pit log these are trees that fell in the river who are a good eight ten inches diameter and they were moving down a pretty good clip and th- i think uh the sheriff he, he had his boat anchored and he had to move it up when one came through
2: yeah well he was sitting there in the bow for just just kind of watching for them there and i know we were watching for them too because we, we were anchored on the uh far
0: side but and, they, and were, they were they were divers in the water i was a little concerned if you happened to pop up or move at just the wrong time that would have been a, 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 a not a good time not a good feeling
2: yeah but you know the divers would come with the current too that current was really hard to fight i mean it would have been a glancing blow at best as, as, yeah. I, mean, I,
0: I didn't go yeah. across the river i i thought about it but when you've got trash you know and i wasn't going for any sort of prize but when you got trash on your side and you're i was never like if i had gone 10 minutes and not found something then i would say okay i need to get to an, another spot but there was plenty to pull up and i'm convinced that where i was at which is right there by the docks there was a, a building down there and to get rid of it they knocked it over and pushed it in the river cuz i could find oh yeah, yeah. like lighting fixtures yeah. i was finding electrical fixtures i was finding conduit uh toilets uh
2: yeah the, the area i was i was in um which was just upstream from the park a little bit and across um lots and lots of burned wood mm-hmm. uh burned mortar, uh, burned bricks. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure a, a house caught on fire and they just bulldozed the thing right in the, in the river there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a lot of burned material. And So I'm picturing was, time
0: frame would have been late 30s to early 70s, somewhere in there, just from the age of stuff I was pulling out.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, the, the stuff that I pulled out was such varying ages. I mean, I had, um, you know, ancient, rusted up, pipe and clay tile out there and there was pvc you know i mean yeah. there was just all kinds of vintage things out there i mean you know uh the you know, the current was so bad that uh you know matt and i decided we kind of put together a technique where uh, i had a, a large locking carabiner which uh you know attached to a rope and i'd snap it out of my bc and then matt would kind of pull me out here and there, <laughs> kind of yeah. anchor me and pull me out back and forth, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I'd, I'd grab something, and he'd give me a yank, but the problem is the, the current was so bad, it ended up more pulling the boat to me than pulling me to the boat, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it worked, though, you know, we got to throw of stuff out, but I don't know, I, I went through my air pretty fast, because I was fighting such wicked current, and like, you know, I pulling mostly chasing divers down and playing safety guy at that point, for the most yeah. part, so...
0: Yeah, I, I did find some good bottles and it was all, I dove two tanks. I had an 80 and a 100. And everything I found was I was, when I was at, uh, 600 pounds on my 100, which was my second tank, right at the end of the day, I found, uh, there was this light fixture, you know, this big scoop like you'd see in an old gas station. And I was starting to pull that out. And as I got underneath it, there were bottles that were, and they were a mixture of age, like you said. Some of them were no more than 10, 15 years old which was kind of puzzling because it was like under brick. But there was others that were much older than that. I mean, there was like broken up crocks. Uh, somebody pulled out a ceramic uh, gas uh, pump light. I, I said ceramic porcelain. So if you imagine an old gas pump from the 30s, and it had this beautiful white uh, globe on it. And I can remember I, I put my river stick down, and, and I just heard chink, and I started pulling up white. So I think I had one of the faces shattered as I moving through. But a fun day. I mean, what a, what a great day.
2: Okay. Yeah, and, and great turnout. The you know sun came out and good weather. I mean, um, I, I just wish the current could have been a little less because I was yeah. kind of concerned about some of the divers up to where the current was.
0: Yeah, I think if we had waited a couple of weeks, you've know, you got leaves coming down now, and this is perfect, so Jim's tentatively already talked about the first Saturday of October next year will be a ecology dive, so we'll try and finalize that date. And if you want to join us and you happen to be in the Nile's area, it'd be great. Love to have you. You'll get a little bit yep. of practice in, so it's not your first river dive. Certainly fun to have you come and help us clean up.
2: Yeah, um, you know, and and the current, you know, like, we were, we've been talking a lot about how bad the current was, and it's it's usually it's not usually that bad up there. In fact, that's why we dive there. That's an area where it's the river is quite broad and you know moderately deep. And well, it's also protected.
0: You got that culvert there, so you you new divers, if you stay between between that and the docks or the walkway, it's fine. You know, if you're going to go across the river, you're going to be right in the current. It's it's a fairly good place for new river divers to get used.
2: Yeah, and and even the areas which have less current, you know, do do produce bottles. Um, you know, it, you know every everyone found stuff. You know, uh, oh yeah. You know, I, I I myself I I. I, I had one bottle that had some really cool embossing on it. it was a wine bottle and it had a lot of these grapevines wrapped around it, but it was it was chipped pretty poorly, so I didn't that was the only bottle I, I considered keeping while I pulled out of there um but of course I was just grabbing everything so
0: and then afterwards we went to the good enough and ate and swapped stories and met with people which was almost the diving I, mean, I thought the food was
2: yeah I, I had to leave a little bit sooner than you guys did so i was I was on my way home at that point
0: oh. <laughs> we had we had to
2: we we had to pull the boat out and things, and but you know the the current made pulling the boat out a bit of a challenge. And, um, and by the time we got that out there, we we got out of town. So other, other obligations that day. So, but yeah, Darren, it's good to see that you got in the water there. I know you, your opportunity has been kind of limited this year, and uh, mm-hmm. it's good to see you there. Did, did your dry suit keep you, keep you good and dry,
0: though? Oh, yeah, that was fine. I mean, my only concern was us uh, cutting up the dry suit. You're on the bottom, and you're moving through, and there are, there is some glass underneath there that is ridiculously wicked.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, that was part of why I, why I went wet. I'm not too concerned about cutting the wetsuit up a little bit, but I didn't want to risk in the dry suit, so.
0: I, I haven't seen any cuts in it, so I'll, I'll do a good inspection. He patches? I, I think it was, I'd been in the river down at Marmot two weeks. Nice, nice to get some more uh, river time in. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're running out of days. Uh, you could still go in there, but the leaves are starting to cover it up. So a little bit more work to find stuff. And then once the water gets hard, then we'll start doing our ice dive.
2: Dive season never ends around here.
0: No, so. it it can't be. If if you get picky and you only want to do it certain times of the year, then. Yeah, you'll get your gear out. You'll do three dives and put it away.
2: We got people who will ice dive in wetsuits. Yeah, I know you were doing that up until last oh, I year. I did that. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've yeah. I did five years of dives. and <laughs> there's some. And people laugh. And I, I was I had a doctor's appointment this week, and my doctor's a scuba diver, but he's never done it. I just say, gosh, you know, the when it's when it's when you think you wouldn't want to dive is when it's some of the best. There's nothing like going to a body of water you dove in the summer and visibility was four inches, and then you go in the winter and you can see thirty feet. You're like, wow! I didn't realize these two things were associated. With I can see object A and object B, and at the same time,
2: yeah, you know, and there's kind of like a sweet spot in the spring when uh, the, when the ice goes out mm-hmm. and the uh, particulate matter sett- settles out. So I was expecting that you know there are. I had a few projects that I wanted to uh, take pictures of at first ice out, and I was really disappointed to find really bad visibility at first ice out in several lakes. But then about two weeks later, I uh, was finding just shocking visibility popping yeah. up here and there. Um, you know, they're just kind of a, I'm not sure what it is exactly, but, you know, first ice out is not necessarily your best vis. Um, no,
0: it, and it, there's so many factors, and I don't know if I necessarily understand them all. But, that, yeah, that week after ice is gone is not the... And, and maybe it's yeah. just everything that was suspended, you know, all the sand and stuff that's blown on the ice during the winter, maybe that's suspended, or maybe it's the weather.
2: I don't know. I just... Uh, I, I'm wondering if, the, you know, you have so much of the plant life, which, uh, you know, has died and then has become, you know, just, I don't know, particulate, particulate floating in the water because it's just it's so light and it takes a very little wind to, to stir it up it, that has to break down even further maybe i'm not sure i don't know what it is exactly here but i know like uh, my buddy deb and i went out for several dives just after i saw it in, a, in a number of lakes and had horrible visibility but then there was a sweet spot in early april where we were just astounded i was you know woods lake kalamazoo was known for having two foot vids and we had 30 foot vids in woods lake and i got the pictures to prove it yeah and you know and, it was uh
0: as I can say and, and people who know those lakes might not ever believe you if you tell them they've got that kind
2: of yeah and we went out to you know the ironsides and had 80 foot visibility in fact my pictures show a hundred foot visibility because I deal with any editing on them but um, you know yeah we had lots of good viz, if you know what to look for then had a oh, mac and I had a couple of more dives um still there
0: yeah I'm still here I'm, I'm listening yeah, you...
2: yeah um i don't know mac and i uh we had been doing some scanning out to uh pawpaw lake um kind of started off mostly just trying to tune the equipment we've been doing some scanning out in st joe and we're having i don't know some complications just because uh you find that with the hummingbird which is a great tool but it has some limitations being a surface mount transducer that uh, you end up um, having a real challenge getting quality scans deeper than 50 feet unless the water is, like, very flat. So Mac has a, a towable transducer, and we were uh, out to pawpaw just using that uh, in the spring, trying to you know, learn the nuances of it and figure out how deep we to run it and put, put, put some shock, shock-absorbing material in, in the uh, cable and all that. And actually had some pretty good runs with it. We found some cool targets and, uh, well, and dove them, On Tuesday, uh, there was one target we were convinced on the scans was a car. I mean, I'm thinking Buick. Max thinking Olds. I mean, Oldsmobile. I mean, we're sure it's a car. (laughs) um, You
0: you would convince yourself you could see the hood ornament.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, you could see it was a real blocky looking car. Well, the reason it was a real blocky looking car, well, we decided to to dive them individually just because the visibility was. I mean, we knew the visibility was going to be pretty poor. And the bottom so soft, having two divers trying to keep a, keep an eye on your buddy, it's just going to wreck the visibility. So, you know, Mac went first on the car, and well, the car turned out to be a, a great big um, dock box. Yeah, excuse me. I,
0: I mean, and I can the, certainly uh, understand how that would
2: look. Well, what and a lot of was is that the, uh, the the lid to it was open. <coughs> excuse me. And with the lid being open, it had the look of the frame of a windshield. And that's why I thought it was a dock box. I mean, I put some pictures
3: <coughs>
2: on the Mud Club Facebook about it there, on my Facebook as well, showing it. I mean, and you, you can see it, it really looks like a car. It really does. I mean, But, uh, nope, just a, a very large dock box there. Um, then I, I dove the second target. We knew we had a boat out there. Um, it wasn't big enough to be one of the steamboats I'm always looking for, but it definitely was a boat by the scans, we're thinking 20 to 25 feet long. And I got down there looking at it and, sorry, <coughs> uh, excuse me, it was that size, but, <coughs> well, I'm getting a little tickling. I'm sorry, guys. It was that size, but it was obviously a scuttle. Um, I came up on it, it was, uh, about 20-25 feet long. I didn't bother measuring it because it was nothing really historical. Um, it was a fiberglass hull, looked to be you know 1950s vintage fiberglass, painted kind of a baby blue. Um, probably a six-foot beam, um, shallow draft boat, not more than two feet draft. You know depth of boat. Did have some MC numbers on it, but someone had spray painted them out. Um, it had an outboard on it motor was removed, but it was the outboard style hull. Um (laughs) boat was look pretty bad shape. Um and the smell of hydrogen sulfide down there was horrible. Uh normally you can't smell when you're diving of course, but I was using a mask that was leaking pretty bad that day. And when the mask leaks, you can smell. When it smells bad (laughs) enough you can even taste. And oh did it stink. I had a taste in my mouth I got done with that dive. It was not. I mean, it was it's a shame, too, because if it hadn't been for the, the leaky mask, it probably would have been a pretty cool dive. But, um, you know, when you're getting crap in the mask and you can see the particulate <laughs> inside your mask, you know, it was just, no, it was time to get out of there. So
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you didn't see anything interesting to beat it.
2: Yeah. I, I thought about trying to get the, you know, figure what the MC numbers were on it because, when they painted them out, they didn't do a very good job. And actually, if I'd have been patient enough, I could have actually figured what they were, but, um, it it had a sticker on it too.
0: So this is a case of somebody, uh, didn't want to properly deal with the boat. So they just painted over the numbers and sunk it.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Which if the, the funny thing about it, is that if you got to the surface, that isn't going to prevent anybody from figuring out which boat it is. So I'm, I'm not, I mean, it seems kind of a silly effort to go. I mean, the only thing it did was kind of slow down a diver from figuring it out.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, once I saw that there was nothing historical about it, you know, I mean, I, I'm always looking to find the old steamboats because, um, you know, so many of these lakes, you know, had steamers in them. Uh, I, you, I, know, I know Gull Lake had several hundred smaller ones on it. Uh, Anybody who wanted to impress the neighbors, you got your own little steam launch, and you take it around for an evening cruise. Yeah. And most of these private ones, you know, ran around like 20, 25 feet long. And that's why I was thinking this might have been one of those little private steam launches. But, you know, in the scans, you could even see ribs to it to some extent. And, uh, yeah, it, it does have some ribs. You can kind of see some some wooden reinforcement in the boat. Which would, which would be ribs, but uh, you know, once you see fiberglass on it, you realize no, this is nothing historical. And you know, I think I had all of a ten-minute dive on it, so so be it.
0: Well, cool. And then it looks like did you did you get to go to the presentation last night?
2: Yeah, I, I was down there. You talking the one down there in uh, DeWajak about yeah. the uh, the uh, World War II planes?
0: Yes. Can you tell everybody what that was about?
2: Yeah. Um I want to get the guy's name right. Uh, Terrace Lisenko? Lisenke? Lisenko, I believe his name was. Anyway, uh, he, he's uh, uh, A&T Recovery, and they're a group out of Chicago that uh, they started off looking for shipwrecks um, in the Chicago area using uh, towable sonar. Um, a lot bigger stuff than our Hummingbirds uh, using an EG&G setup. Um, and, of course, when you're Using towable sonar, you, you're going to do your homework as well and find out what's in the area to look for. And they came up with these uh, stories of uh, World War II planes out there. What you have is uh, going into World War One. We needed many, many pilots, and you really couldn't train the pilots on the coasts because you had the uh, German Kriegsmarine U-boats on the East Coast, and then you had you know, uh, down the Japanese uh, submarines on the West Coast. So it was kind of treacherous, not a good place to train the pilots in the ocean. So they decided they would, uh, the Navy, bought two um, passenger excursion steamers. Uh, one of them was the uh, CB. Uh, I kept the name of the second one. Big wooden hulled side wheelers converted them into flat-top aircraft carriers. Steam-powered, side-wheeled, aircraft carriers I'm not making this up <laughs> and they use these for training uh, pilots you know um, apparently they had to uh, successfully make uh, eight landings and eight takeoffs from an aircraft carrier to be considered uh, ready for duty in the um, you know Pacific Theater there they uh, you know uh, and not all of the takeoffs and landings went well all in all. Believe that uh, 130 aircraft uh, ended up in Lake Michigan. Uh, the um, aircraft carriers ran basically uh, north out of Chicago up as far as uh, Evanston and back. Um, they had to steam into the wind in order to, uh, you know, have a plane properly uh, uh, take off from them. There was a lot of different. Uh, tricks they had to play as far as, uh, you know, uh, ways of catching the plane coming down. Um, they had to have, you know, cable systems and uh, different things of arresting the plane. And they'd have up other cables and basically catapults to help the plans for planes to take off. It was pretty complicated to get a, a plane to take off and land on these, these aircraft carriers. And, say, not all of them made it. So about 130 of them went in the lake. Um, some of them were recovered by the Navy when they went in. The vast majority were not. Approximately 40 of them have been recovered from uh, the water. Uh, they believe there may be 70 of them still in the water. Uh, most of the uh, shallower ones have, have been picked up already. Um, they were finding them as shallow as 100 feet. Uh, most of the ones they're finding today are out as deep as 400 feet. The uh, they found other things in the process out there looking. Um, one thing they found out there is the uh, uh, the UC 97, which is a uh, World War I German submarine that was sunk out Lake Michigan. Yeah, I'm not making this up guys. look this stuff up. <laughs> the uh, UC70 the, the UC 97 uh, was a very unique diesel-powered yeah from World War one well ahead of its time submarine. That uh, was turned over by the Germans at the end of World War One. There were oh, like over a hundred sub over a hundred submarines turned over by the Germans to the Allied powers at the end of World War One. Um, they were sent around. Uh, you know, the U.S. got to believe six or seven of them. Um, Lysenko had. I want to get his name right. I got to look. His name. I, I don't want to. I shouldn't be mispronouncing this guy's name. I mean, he, he put on a heck of a presentation last night. Um, let's see if I can look him up, get his name proper here, because <laughs> uh, it was a really cool presentation he did. Um, but, uh, you know, they've
3: uh, used ended up
2: the 97 and traveling the United States while around the Great Lakes during war bond drives. Treaty of Versailles stipulated that all German munitions of war, uh, anything. The Germans, any, anything that was German military-related had to be destroyed by 19 by July 1st, 1921. So the uh, UC-97 was taken out and sunk intentionally by the Wilmette. Uh, the Wilmette <laughs> being also known as the Eastland. The Eastland is actually the uh, worst maritime disaster on the Great Lakes. It um, was a uh, large... Passenger ship that was in the um, Chicago River. There was a, a group taking out for a picnic. Uh, it was Western Electric. Um, many of the passengers went over to one side to look at a passing vessel, and the ship rolled over. Eight hundred and four souls breathed their last on the, at that day. Um, the Woolmant, well, excuse me, the uh, Eastland at that point <coughs> um, couldn't be used because of all the the deaths that occurred to it. So it was uh, <clears throat> bought by the, uh, by the U.S. Navy and they converted it into a, a gunboat, renamed the Eastland the Wilmette, and then after the war, it was the Wilmette which sunk the UC 97 out in Lake Michigan. It sits out there in, um, oh, between 300 and 250 feet of water.
0: Yeah, so you got a little bit of a deco obligation to get down to it.
2: Yeah, well, he, they actually showed some pretty good video of it, though. Um, the visibility was only mediocre on it there, but it was real detailed, showing a lot of the machinery and the, and the plumbing, and um, you know, showed showed the submarine quite well. <laughs> they had um, you know, but they actually have plans of raising the submarine. Oh, really? Yeah, they're working on the funding, and if the funding becomes available they are going to raise the UC-97. That's their plan. So, yeah. but No, it was a great presentation. I want to say it was an hour and a half to two hours long. Um, he's a great speaker, very entertaining, very humorous presentation, a um, you know, very energetic guy. I very much enjoyed it. Um, he had a number of artifacts that he passed around. You um, you know, got to put your hands on a lot of Different uh, World War II memorabilia that, that came around to the, the crowd. Um, excellent, excellent presentation down there at the uh, Dewad Jack Historical Center. Really enjoyed it.
0: Well, great. I mean, I I thought about going, but I just I'd have been able to make it for probably about half of it and turn around. Glad to see he had some good support and was able to talk about some of experiences.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was a full house. I don't think there were any empty seats in the place there. I think they had to put, put up a few uh, put up a few more on the wings there around it there. So. Um, Real good turnout for it. I think we had uh, nine Mug Club members down there. Excellent. Yeah, great
0: program. Well, I think we probably need to about cut it. I don't have any idea at this point with everything crazy how much I got to edit it down to. But 90 is our magic number i imagine we've got to be a little bit over that so if you have any comment want to leave us feedback for the show it's at the show at Scoob obsessed if you think this show is at least worth a dollar why not donate to our patreon account go to scuba follow the links and donate at whatever amount that you would like anything is appreciated three dollars or more gets you early show notes and some other special member only information yeah, anything you want to plug kevin Well,
2: yeah, um, I want to encourage our listeners to uh, support your local libraries. Use them as often as you can. They're uh, great resources. Librarians are awesome people. Also, uh, support your local dive shops. I know we all like to get a bargain online, but uh, those bargain shops online online aren't going to fill your tanks or service your regulators.
0: Certainly they will not. At least they haven't figured that one out yet.
2: (laughs) Well, they they might do it like, you know, they they might do the regulators via mail, but it's going to take a little while. You know, I mean... um,
0: yeah, your your uh, your your tank fills via mail is kind of like the old Netflix days. You know, you you turn the tank in the, the shipping container. I don't know how well that's going to work.
3: Well,
2: I can tell you that um, they're not going to ship it back to you full. That you, you can't ship a full tank like that. So <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of out of luck. You know, I mean, if you if, if if you don't have a dive shop to get your tanks filled, um, and you know, and, and dive shops don't make any money on air fills. I mean, they're doing that just to kind of get you in the door. So uh, Please support your local dive shops. Keep, keep those guys in business. I mean, you know, dive shops aren't making a lot of money. They're not doing this to get rich. They're doing this because they love the sport, and they want the sport to continue. So please support
0: your local dive shops. Well, I think we are to that time of the show, and we have a joke. I, I don't necessarily know if I understand, so we'll see how the delivery goes. Maybe at the end I'll go, oh, that makes sense. I'm not sure. Bring it on. Okay says, Dr. Phil, I'm passing this on to you because it definitely worked for me and we could use more calm in our life. By following the simple advice I heard on Dr. Phil's show, I have finally found inner peace. Dr. Phil proclaimed on the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all things you have started. So today I got up early before I headed off to work at the post office, looked around my house to see things I had started and hadn't finished. Before leaving the house this morning, I finished off the rest of the cheesecake, a bottle of rum and opened, that I had opened last night, I have no idea how freaking good I feel. Looked around the house, see what things I had started. I hadn't finished before leaving this morning. I finished off the rest of cheesecake, a new bottle of bourbon I started last night. Thank you, Doctor Phil. All
3: right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm getting it. Maybe I just need another drink, and that will come to me. <laughs>
2: don't start what you can't finish <laughs>
0: yeah. so on that note go out there and get wet
2: and stay safe
3: recording has been complete yeah that was a tough one that was a tough one to get rolling my friend.